You're listening to The New Exchange, a podcast series that explores how everyone has a story to tell. My name is Ken Grandpierre, and this episode is a continuation of showcasing my ridiculously talented friends. Today's guest is a musician and visual artist that's continuously refining her voice. We met shortly after she became the lead singer in the band San Fermin, a band I've worked with for many years now. Throughout her time in San Fermin, she released infectious solo music under the moniker K, which has now become her primary focus. Today's guest is the incomparable Charlene K. Throughout 2020, Charlene has released a slew of incredible singles which convey that knowing yourself is a long journey. I'd be hard pressed to think of someone who's done a better job of putting themselves at display for the world to see, which is exactly what we get into with this episode. Also on this episode, we chat about how songwriting can teach you about yourself, what it's like to collaborate with your sister on incredible music videos, and navigating the world as an Asian American artist. This is The New Exchange with Charlene Kay. Enjoy. Do you remember when you realized that performing music was going to be such a critical part of your life? I asked because the context within which I met you was due to live music, and I don't think I've ever asked you that before. Yeah, um, I mean, I've, I've always just responded to it very intuitively, and my mom was always playing, like, show tunes around the house, and, like, she loved all the old, like, Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals and stuff, and, um, my dad who when we were living in Singapore he's he's more into like folk music he really loves James Taylor and like Crosby Stills and Nash and stuff like that and so um I didn't and then of course like as a classically Asian move I was um I was raised playing classical piano and so that was one of my first instruments and I started that when I was five but I always really struggled with sight reading and so I remember like I I would do the recitals and all that stuff. And then when I reached like 13 or so, I, I, we had been living in Arizona at that point. And then, um, I started listening to the radio and then started playing Blink-182 and like discovered Nirvana. And it was kind of game over at that point. I was just obsessed with the guitar. And my sister actually was the one who picked up guitar before I did. And she had taught herself Little Wing by Jimi Hendrix in, in the adjacent bedroom. And I was just like listening to her shred. And I was like, this is so sick. Like, I can't believe my sister can play like this. And I kind of stole it from her. <laughs> and I was like, I want to do that too. And she was mad when she like saw that I was interested in playing guitar. And then, you know, she was like good at things that I wasn't. And it ended up working out fine. But it was just like a, uh, a love affair that started like in no small part because of her as well. I loved hearing that so much because yeah, your sister is an incredible director and you guys have worked together so much, especially like with the recent videos you've released, which I'm going to ask you about. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, something that blew my mind is I read an interview you did not too long ago. And what blew me away is that you mentioned growing up in Hawaii, Singapore, Hong Kong, Arizona, Michigan before turning 18. And I don't think I knew that about you, even though knowing you for so long. I grew up in the United Kingdom and spent some time in Holland before I became a teenager. 
I wonder. Oh, yeah. So funny. Yeah. I, something I really wanted to ask you is how do you feel living that way affected your approach towards music, or do you feel it had any influence at all? I mean, I think I was exposed to a lot of different styles growing up, and it prompted me to be curious about what the culture was in each, in each particular place. And, you know, I think it wasn't until I reached middle school and like going to, going to public school in Arizona when I really discovered the radio and like pop punk. And there was like a, such a vibrant pop punk scene in Scottsdale, Arizona, <laughs> believe it or not. It's like a very white suburban community, but I, would go to these shows by myself and I'd have my mom drop me off. I was 15. I had like my little straight edge X's on my hands with like my purple hair and my towel wristbands and stuff. Like it was so like warped shore early 2000s. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I think that I just sort of like absorbed everything that was around me and um, like listening to, listening to the radio and also like having friends that were into music and having them like dump their entire discography on onto my hard drive was a huge, was a huge turning point. And I remember like, I like went to summer camp one year and my, my friend Brianna introduced me to Sufjan Stevens and Mason Jennings and Devendra Banhart and all these artists that like would stay with me throughout my adulthood. I just had no idea at the time. It's amazing when that happens. Cause I feel like, one of the best things about music is that you can really associate it with memories and specific people, really. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. You know, we met because of you being part of the band Sand for Men, and I think we met way back in, like, uh, 2015, which is kind of wild. Yeah, that is so crazy. I was talking to somebody about how I met Ellis and Alan when they were both 24, and now they're 31. <laughs> <laughs> that is so... They were so young, and, I mean, it was... 2014 doesn't seem like that long ago, but in some ways it really is. Yeah. There's I, so, much, so much has happened since then. No, totally. I feel like because of the whole COVID pandemic, it's just gone and made things feel like they were like 20 years ago, even if they were like 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, time is a flat circle. I have no idea. I can't account for this time this time period at all. <laughs> the reason I bring them up is that um, you left the band last year. And what's interesting is we never really chatted about what it was like for you to walk away from that. Do you remember what those first few weeks felt like for you when the band was like pretty much out of your life? Yeah. It, I mean, I had told Ellis that this was going to be my last album cycle um, several months before we actually played our last show. And so like the band knew for a while, I knew for a while and um, yeah, I, it didn't feel quite real until that last show. And you were there, right? Yeah, that was at Rough yeah. Trade, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just like, I just, it didn't even really hit me until I started singing "No Promises," which is about the band, and it's a song that Ellis like wrote, you know, sort of as like a meditation on the responsibility that he uniquely has in bringing us all, bringing us out all on the road, essentially to live his dream and like perform the, the songs that he wrote and like the stories that he's written over over the uh, the course of time that it took to write the, this album and it's it's always so special and it's about you know the friendships that we have and like this weird thing that we do which is you know travel around the country and get no sleep and like perform with perform for hundreds of people and 
it's such a weird profession and you would have to be slightly crazy to do it. And in some ways I like look at it as in Ellis's way, like a love letter to the band. And he's such, he's like a very sarcastic person. And we like, we all have like such a cynical sense of humor in the band. And so I think it was like one of the most sincere things that he's ever created for us. And so it just really hit me when I was singing that song and I just started sobbing on stage and I couldn't stop. And I didn't expect that to happen at all. And the weeks that transpired after that, I were really sad. And I, I was surprised that I was grieving it in the way that you grieve like a boyfriend or a girlfriend that you've just broken up with. Like, and touring with a band is weird because you only, you, you go out on the road and then you come back home and then you go out on the road and you come back home. So it's not like I was seeing this person every single day and all of a sudden you're just like broken up and you don't see each other anymore. But it was like, I don't know. I just couldn't stop thinking about every tour that we'd been on since I had started playing with them back in 2014. And like, I just felt like I was reliving like flashbacks of all the different tours that we've been on. And I was meditating on how much I've grown as a performer and a musician and as a bandmate since I joined that band. And it's like, like it truly did change my life and it changed the way that I, I write and the way that I perform and the way that I think about music. And I'm, I still really miss it. Like I think about it all the time and there are times where I'm like, I see a certain city on a map or like I'll pass through a city um, on the way to another city in an airport, you know, before pandemic times. And I'll be like, Oh, remember that show that we played there where Alan got sick on stage and threw up and I had to sing the rest of the show for him. Or <laughs> remember this festival that we played in this weird town that no one showed up to. And I have like, I have a world, I have a wealth of memories that I'm so lucky to take with me. <laughs> um, as I get older, like I have so many stories, mostly about John Brandon and his weird eating habits. But yeah. Oh God. I feel like someone could write a whole book on his weird eating <laughs> habits. <laughs> yeah. yeah, his penchant for boxed beans. He had, the, he had this one thing where he was like really into um, buying as many calories per cent possible. And so that led him to just buy pre-cooked pre boxed beans from Whole Foods. And he would just like sit in the van eating the beans. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so nasty, but probably so, um, so efficient financially. Probably. I, I commend him. I commend him for um, putting economy over taste. <laughs> I look forward to seeing him and giving him grief over that. <laughs> Please do. Tell him I sent you. <laughs> um, you mentioned something that, that is uh, really uh, crucial to why we're talking right now. Because you mentioned the growth that you got from being in the band, particularly in regards to songwriting. And mm -hmm. a big reason I wanted to have you on is because, I mean, obviously... You're a great friend. I love you dearly. But these new songs you've released are fucking amazing, man. And I really want to ask you about them. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you like them. Yeah, I'm so keen to hear the stories behind them. I mean, let's start with Closer Than This because, wow, man, like what a fucking tune. Like this is such a slinky, sexy, confident, and it's just such a fierce fucking tune, man. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, so I, I, I remember exactly when I wrote that song, and it was on tour with San Fermin, playing the, the art, I mean, I'm sorry, playing the Blind Pig in, in Ann Arbor, where I went to college, and the first melody of it had stuck in my head, like I'd written some lyrics in a note in my phone, but I remember specifically 
that melody coming to me and I had to like skip out of sound check for a minute to go to the bathroom and record it because sometimes it just, it doesn't choose when it comes to you. You just, you just have to drop everything and make sure you capture it before it flutters away. So yeah, I mean, I was going through a period where I was just feeling not capable of giving, giving anything substantial to anybody romantically. But at the same time, I was like talking to somebody who ended up being like a weirdly consistent presence in my life, even though I was on the road so much. So even we never saw each other in real life, but we would keep in touch. And it was just, it, I just got, it just made me think about the way that the ways in which we're able to construct intimacy or the idea of intimacy with someone who you tell so much of your day to and like all these, all these like intimate details, but there's nothing at stake because you're not actually in a relationship. And the second you start having any, any semblance of like accountability, then the whole thing crumbles. And there were several moments where we were both like, is this a thing? Like, are we, we're, we, I feel close to you in a very like, in, a, in the sense that you know so much about me because of how much we've been talking, but it's an illusion. And whenever it got to be, there, there was like, anytime there was a point where it was like, oh, well, do you want to see each other? Then there sprung up like all these like avoidant behavior patterns where all of a sudden you're, it, it just, it's just like too much. And all of a sudden you, it's like, oh, I don't want to hurt you. And I don't want to be responsible for your happiness or your pain. And so it ends up being this dance that you continue to dance around each other until you collapse. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, a, it's about sort of like digital romance in a way, but once the pandemic hit, it took on this whole new meaning where we literally cannot get closer than this. <laughs> and I had some fans like commenting on the song, like, singing it as like closer than six, like you closer than six. <laughs> and the remix that is coming out, well, it'll be out by the time this airs, but uh, features my friend Kahim, who's a rapper. He's a really amazing rising Brooklyn rapper. And he has all these like double entendres in the song that really like a apply to the time we're in. And, um, yeah, there's like one line about like not taking my mask off. And I was like, Oh my God, that's so it applies in both ways. Like we're, we're pretending, but we're also trying to be safe and not spread the virus. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was really psyched and amused when I heard what he had done with it. Oh man. Thank you so much for setting that remix to me this morning. I really loved it. And what's incredible is that Within the remix, for people listening who haven't heard the original track, go hear the original track and this remix right now because it's incredible. I love the fact that it sounds more bare within the remix, yet it still sounds like such a fierce banger. And yeah, I mean, how did it feel to have your own song reinterpreted in that way, like artistically? Um. Well, my, yeah, so the remix was made by my friend Grant, who is a phenomenal musician he's a bass player he's a synth wizard um and he's in my band he did a lot of the co-production or the additional production on the album and he was responsible for all the synths that you hear and none of them are soft synths which is which means they're they're not part of a software um they're all like analog synths because he's like a, a huge nerd for analog synths and he did every synth that you hear on the record is something that he did and he 
has recently gotten more into doing remixes and being more of a producer figure. And I was like, you know, you have the stems already. Why don't you do something with this? And he, he and Kahim had collaborated on some of Kahim's solo material, which is how I found out about Kahim. And I was like, I am obsessed with this. Who is this rapper? Um, and then Kahim and I got in touch on Instagram and we were like, we'd been talking about collaborating for a really long time. And when this opportunity came up, it just felt super natural to collaborate on this remotely since this pandemic was happening. And so, yeah, Grant just, I, I didn't give Grant very much direction. I was basically like, you know, in another world, like this could have been more of like a straight up electro R&B song. And I, I just love 90s R&B. I love the Neptunes. I love Kellis and Pharrell and like all, all of those all those like early 2000s, 90s, like hip hop R and B figures, and um, I, yeah, and so I, I think he, I think he really nailed having this groovy, sexy vibe that was like minimalist but still very swaggy. And I, I think in an, in an alternate universe, I could, I could have produced it like a straight up R and B song, and this is exactly the alternate universe that I imagined. So I'm, I'm just psyched that Grant took the note and then ran with it in his own way. Man, that's so sick. And your sister also directed the video, which is perfection. Cause I mean, she's so talented and whenever you guys get to work together, it's amazing. And I mean, Charlene, it's one thing to have a song that's so sexy, but to have the video convey that so perfectly, it's like another thing entirely. What was it like? What was your experience like in making the video? I'm, I'm super, super proud of that video. And even though the other videos have gotten more views. I still feel like that one is the one that I'm so I'm the most proud of. Just in the sense that I, I feel like we really nailed we really nailed the vibe of what this imaginary world was and we actually shot it in Ellis's parents' house. <laughs> no you did it. Did you really? Yeah, we did, yeah. And it was so gracious of them to allow us to use their living room for these four sexy guys to come and, like, <laughs> body roll and twerk all over me. <laughs> and, yeah, like, we just wanted to create, like, we wanted to create, there's a, there's a line that says, I'm your dream girl, and we wanted to create, like, this dream world where we elevate, like, the, the fantastical versions of ourselves that we present to other people when we're flirting with them or, like, we're in this, like, dance of, of desire and... Yeah, I, 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 I ran with the sort of like 90s, early 2000s R&B thing and we made it a dance video. There's like a, there's like a whole dance sequence at the end and um, I felt more comfortable than ever because of the way that, because of the, what this song is about and how it is specifically about, like, just, I think it's too broad to say that it's about sex, but it's about like desire and intimacy and what you want to show of yourself to someone else when you're when you're building this excitement and you're like in this new flirtation yeah next up is too much a song that's still very confident but also revealing in another way how much did this song evolve within the recording process i feel like this is one of those songs that reveals itself while you're in the studio as opposed to writing it down if you know what i mean yeah definitely the song is super simple. If you play it um, on an acoustic guitar, it's basically just two chords. It's like E and C sharp. Um, and like most of my songs, that one started out on a note with a note on my phone, just like lots of stream of consciousness lyrics. And 
it's funny to talk about the stuff now because I wrote it in a time of like intense emotional turmoil and sort of like beating myself up about the decisions that I've made, like regarding my relationships. And I think it's not overt on in this album. And I haven't really talked about this much, but there's so many pop albums that come from the perspective of the dumped. And I still have trouble writing songs when in the times that I've been broken up with, because I just feel like there's so many songs out there that talk about that or like, there's so many songs about unrequited love and it's not like we're, we're it's not like pop music from this point out from this point onward is not going to be about that because people's we're all going to continue to go through this cycle and it's not originality is less important to me than authenticity and so it's something that i would like to work on that said i feel like because in this particular relationship that i'm that I was writing about, I was the dumper. And I just haven't, I don't know of many albums that come from the perspective of the dumper. Because it, people sort of, I don't know if people like recognize that's just as difficult and there's so much, if not more heartache when you're the person that has to unilaterally decide that this isn't right for you even though you love them. Yeah. And I think that's why I resonated so hard with um, Tame Impala's album, Currents, is because he sort of explores the anguish and, you know, the indecision and um, the back and forthness of knowing that what's right for you is not necessarily what's going to feel right to them and that growth might come at the expense of hurting this person almost irre irrevocably. So... And I also don't think that there are very many albums written by a woman that have that perspective either. Cause there's this trope of like a man, this like male heartbreaker that can, that, you know, goes that sort of like turns and burns through relationships. And, um, it's more of a, and the opposite of that is the trope of this love Lauren, like woman who's been left. And I didn't, I didn't feel like, any music that I heard was really helping me during that time. And so I found a lot of comfort in writing my own. No, that makes a lot of sense to me because you're absolutely right. Especially because the element, I would say the element of most breakups, it can be simplified, but for the, the true root of it is more nuanced than anything that could be simple. Cause it is about two people ultimately who might have different desires, different goals. And, you know, mm -hmm. I would even akin it to when you watch a film. I can't even think of any films or TV shows where somebody dumps somebody and you feel sympathy for them. So it even goes further beyond music in a lot of ways. Absolutely, yeah. Man, this, I mean, one of the cool things about this track, and I feel like everything you just brought up is beautifully conveyed within the lyrics. I feel like this is also uh, conveyed within the video as well. Another video that your sister directed. And... I love that it's so simple yet so badass. You're wearing these blue bits of cloth and throughout the song you're dancing or removing them, but in an elegant way. And it kind of feels like shedding baggage in a way, like as the video goes oh, on. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, what was that day like for you when it came to making that video? Do you remember that? <laughs> that 
video, that day was insane because we shot it two days after we shot the Closer Than This video. We had to prepare for two videos at the same time. Oh my god. And it was because we just got this crazy camera deal and we only had it for a certain amount of time. And so we were like, okay, we're going to just get it in. And um, this one required a lot. Um, this one required a much more simple setup than the closer than this video, which was like a whole set with like five different locations within the house and like many people and stuff. And this one was pretty much just me and the camera people and our, our costume designer, Lara DeBryan, who had made my, my costume and she's, she's amazing. And she's, we, I've worked with her for so many videos at this point, but yeah, um, it took about two hours to tape every single piece of blue fabric onto my body with double-sided <laughs> tape. Sounds about right. And resetting was a nightmare because <laughs> the the concept of the video is that I start out perfect, like completely clothed um, with pieces of fabric covering my entire body all the way up to my neck. And then as the song gets more and more frenetic, I dance it all off and I start like violently ripping the pieces off and it becomes this like... Um, it becomes this very like destructive but joyful thing. Um, and it was actually inspired by Yoko Ono's cut piece, which is this, this performance art piece that she did in the sixties where she starts, she starts out sitting on the stage in her finest, most expensive suit. And she invites people from the audience to come up and take, and take a piece of her fabric with a piece of scissors. So one by one, the audience members come up and they cut a piece of fabric from her body and they take it home until there's nothing left. And you're left with this sense of her being like incredibly violated. And it's very, it's very slowly violent, which is, which was riveting. And, um, of course it's a statement on, you know, feminine ownership and like who, who owns the female body, like who deserves the right to see your, your vulnerability and who has control. And I just couldn't stop thinking about that when I was writing this song. And I wanted to do my own take on that, except I wanted to be the agent of my own destruction and change. I didn't want it to be other people taking, taking it from me. And I wanted to have full accountability over my decisions and like hopefully convey that. Wow. And that's what's conveyed within the lyrics. And you know what I love is that you described the Yoko Ono project, but when you think about it in the way that you interpreted and you kind of remixed that within the context of the video, it has a whole different meaning, which even though it has like the echoes and the ripples of the previous meaning, like that's a really beautiful thing. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Like I, I, I think a lot of artists are never influenced by their own medium. And I think the, the best ones are sort of consuming all different types of uh, creative works. So, you know, like, I feel like I'm inspired more by, say, like movies and, and visual art. And I think it all sort of like goes into the, the stew. And then you sort of like, remember things that ha that resonate really hard with you at a certain time. Like I really, I spend a lot of time looking at like installation art. And it inspires me to think about what my live show might look like when we can have live shows again. <laughs> yeah. But I love the idea of like building fantastical spaces for people to exist in just for like two hours. And 
transport them and bring them to um, a place that they would never go in their in their everyday lives. And I think combined with music, it can be so escapist and healing and, you know, provide anybody um, a salve for whatever suffering they might be going through. Yeah. I mean, what you described essentially is what I, the shows that stick out to the most to me in recent memory, or even just, you know, memories from years ago, it's, those were what those shows conveyed where I felt like I entered a place where I couldn't really experience it in the outside world. Yeah, I completely agree. And I miss that so much about live music. Like you can't really get that from a live stream. Yeah, you really can't, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wanted to ask you next about how, um, would I be right in thinking that the lyrics of this song are a conversation that you're having with yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I would say I would say that would be true for most of the songs on the album. Really? In what way? I think it's just sort of like me wrestling with myself a lot and like going back and forth and hoping that I'm making the right decisions for myself and knowing that in this particular circumstance, change does not come without pain, which is a hard lesson to learn, especially when you're, when you're getting older. Like I think it's easier to um, have I think it's easier to be in relationships with abandon when you're young because you haven't been hurt and you haven't, you don't, you're not aware of triggers yet. And then once you, once you get older, you start to realize how much more is at stake. And like, it's not just about, um, I mean, I guess you can have, you can have a variety of different situations, but knowing more carries a certain weight when you when you move forward making these decisions and you care about at least me like you care about people more and you know yourself more than you have i'm someone who really is a huge people pleaser and it's part of my my asian upbringing but it's also part of my identity as a woman and i think women are to quote one of my favorite writers um ask polly the gender on whom an eternal here to serve button is pinned. And it's easier for us to, I, I think it's easier for us to like assimilate into a situation that like makes everybody happy and to seek approval and to not rock the boat and to want to make other people happy before ourselves. And that's <clears throat> something that I highly relate to, which is why in the moment that I knew that I wanted to be alone for no particular reason, other than I just felt like I wanted to grow more, it, brought me a lot of shame for some reason. And that was something that I had to parse through because there's nothing to be ashamed of if you just want to learn and grow more on your own instead of pursuing a more conventional path like marriage or children. There's nothing wrong with that. And yet we are so conditioned to aspire to that from young children. And I had to unlearn a lot of those, of of those lessons and those, um, I had to unlearn a lot of what was taught to me to want, which is crazy because I'm like, I I feel like we live in a fairly progressive society. I live in one of the most progressive cities in the world. And, and yet there's so much still ingrained in us as a species that we carry from generations and generations of 
ex- of societal expectations and gender expectations that I've been steadily learning about and, and trying to undo. I mean, it's so true. And I think what's incredible about these songs you released and why the essence of them being conversations with yourself, it's almost like there's not really many places I would imagine that you would feel safe in having these conversations. Like, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of places where conversations like this are being had. I'm sure there are, but there's something about the discovery with your feelings conversing within yourself in song, I feel like, anyway. Yeah, it's so... It is just healing for me and it's a way for me to see my thoughts on paper and I'm a religious journaler as well as a a writer and it's the only way that I process things I love looking back at my albums and remembering like oh I went through like that's what I was going through and this is how it felt like it's not just a written account you have these emotions that are paired with the words because of the music and because of because of the the feeling that certain chords can transport you to. So I'm so grateful that I have music as a, a means of processing and healing. And I know that not everybody has that. Like, I think to have a creative profession to reflect your own life back at you is one of the most rewarding things to me. So tell me this, Charlene, when it comes to a song like Hell, that's so much about, I mean, we talked about just now about how it's essentially like a conversation with yourself. I'm curious, like, what's been the most surprising reaction you've had to that song? I wonder if anyone else in your life recognized what the conversation within the song was about. Oh, well, (laughs) the person who it's about will definitely know it's about them. Um, And, yeah, I mean, I think there's this line in the song that essentially says, I want to do the wrong thing, and, like, I... And metaphorically, what that means in the video is physically hurting someone, like snapping their neck, like dragging them and myself into the ocean, like driving as fast as I can for no reason at all. And um, like flirting with that impulse of self-destruction. And I do think that, like like we were talking about a little earlier, the growth often comes at the price of pain and change often happens in intense moments of um, anguish, not to glorify pain as an artist, because I do feel like that's a misconception about good art is that it has to be accompanied by some sort of torture. And I also believe that I've made my best work in moments of in in moments of peace and and joy. But yeah, in this in this particular, I think this particular album is about like examining the parts of myself that weren't so that weren't so pretty and diving into the um diving into my own ability to hurt someone in favor of my myself and for my own personal growth and i think like we were saying earlier like as women we have such an impulse to serve everybody else. Like I do attribute that to my Asian, Asian American upbringing as well. And, um, it's very like me to embrace a sort of like savior complex when it comes to relationships and want to fix everything and fill like every hole in their lives and, um, be this sort of like Wendy Denweather figure. And in, in this case, like doing the wrong thing was not the wrong thing at all. It was the, it was the right thing for me. And, it just unfortunately came at the expense of hurting somebody. And that was something that I wrestled with a lot because I, I think 
one of the lessons that I'm meant to learn in this lifetime is to not care so much about what other people think and not care so much about people's approval. And that goes for both this outward facing sense and a very intimate sense of the people that are closest to me. And I think there's like something shameful about acknowledging that you want something just because you want it for yourself. Uh, as a woman, there's just something that has been hard to dis to um, detach from what is good for me versus what is good for somebody else. And often I'll put the other person before myself and then end up in a place where I'm not sure what I want anymore. Um, and so I think I came to a huge reckoning around the time of writing that song. And there's like this concept called your Saturn return, which is essentially apparently the, apparently Saturn takes about 30 years to revolve around the earth from the time that you were born to make a complete orbit. And it usually happens when you're like around 30. And so for me, it happened. And it usually indicates some sort of like seismic change that overwhelms your entire life and the lessons that you've been putting off learning, you will learn in a hurry then. And it usually upturns the fundamental aspects of who you thought you were. And you're, you're forced to rearrange these foundational elements of what your identity is. Um, and I highly resonated with that because it, it was a time where I was like, am I, am I doing everything I need to live my truest, most authentic life as my truest, most authentic self. And I'd been serving a lot. Like I had been in San Fermin for six years and I had loved it. And like, I still think about it all the time. I miss it so much, but I also knew that it wasn't a manifestation of my highest creativity. And I had also been in a relationship that I didn't feel I was growing in anymore. And so that was extremely hard to reckon with, um, at the same time. And so recognizing that I had to let both of things, the, both of those things go also, you know, had this ripple effect of me being like, should I leave New York as well? And New York is somewhere that, that I've always considered like my soul home. But because I was like, it felt like I was just sort of like blowing up my life in all these other places. I was like, maybe I should just start completely fresh. And I went out to LA. I was there for five weeks and I had actually made the decision to move there. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I, I spent a lot of time like healing out there, being in nature, like spending time with friends. And then ultimately I just couldn't leave New York cause I feel like this is where, where I truly belong. But, and that trip ended up being sort of a, like a convalescent home city for me. <laughs> and it was exactly what I needed at the time, but I realized that I, I didn't want to live there. Yeah. You know what I think is, speaks to so much of what you're talking about? It's, um, I feel like a running theme that's been going on with these talks I've been doing is how there's so many experiences and kind of like trials and tribulations we go through in life where the, at the crux of it, they're essentially, it goes to show how there's never a rule book to how we go about living life and how we go through these challenges. And I think a lot of what you're speaking to rests on that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, something else I wanted to ask you about is, um, and I hope it's okay to explore this with you, but it's interesting how your music feels like it's broadening what people would expect from an Asian American artist. And you've touched on that a bit, and we've talked about it a bit in the past, but 
I'd really love for you to share with the world how you feel about Asian Americans are represented in music. Because I think your perspective on that's obviously something that I can only imagine, really. Sure. I mean, I think it's better than it's ever been um, in terms of representation. Like Crazy Rich Asians was obviously like a huge game changer. Um, they had all these like act, all these Asian actors that had been working for their entire careers, but it was only with this production and this budget that it was able to be like catapulted into the limelight. And you see people like Aquafina, who has who's from the Bronx and has been rapping for like almost 10 years and she had like gone moderately viral with some of her own solo stuff. But now she's a huge star and like has gone on to be in like oceans eight and things like that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm psyched about there being more Asians in music. I feel like there are a lot of East Asia or South Asians that have been killing it. Like, um, MIA and Riz Ahmed, like they're, they're holding down the fort, like in the hip hop and R and B vein and there's so many amazing Asian Asian Americans here and even and like British Asians like Rina Sawayama I absolutely adore um there's that there's the singer-songwriter B. Badubi who is on Dirty Hit which is the 1975's label Mitski obviously um yeah I'm, I'm I think more than ever we're allowed the space and the bandwidth to tell our own stories and be depicted as 3D creatures instead of um, being beholden to these stereotypes that have sort of dictated how people perceive us for all these years. And I do think that that was a big hindrance in my full, my being fully able to dive into this career and this profession because I just didn't really have anyone who looked like me that was doing what I was doing. And I got so many comparisons to um, Michelle Branch when I was first starting out. Like, no shade, I love her. But, and even like Cassandra from Wayne's World, you know, like there's a, an Asian, an Asian woman with a, with a guitar and she's so hot and powerful. And I, I just, I love what she does, but she's also not a real person. And so that just speaks to the lack of representation in the culture, uh, with people that are actually creating music that is on the radio that people listen to that's in the conversation. I love so much that you were able to say we within that because I think what your music does, which I love so much about it, is that your music contributes to how you can't have a myopic view of what an Asian American person feels or thinks. Like there's a wide spectrum of emotions and experiences that are universal but also specific. And if you even think back to maybe like 10 years ago, it's like you're saying with the Michelle Branch thing. It's like you wouldn't have seen that much representation as you're saying now. It's, it's very important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we just got to keep going. We just got to keep making stuff. And it's sort of relevant to the Black Lives Matter movement that is happening right now, too, because we're, I think so many people are waking up to the idea that Black people are not a monolith. And the fact that they've been treated as such has been at the root of all these murders and this horrible, like, racial profiling. And so to be able to see each other as individuals in this culture is so necessary and not, and it's not, we're not there, you know, we haven't, we haven't been there for a long time. And I'm hoping that this movement forces everybody to reckon with their own identity, the, the identity that they were born into and like examine the identities um, that other, that other people of different ethnicities and races were born into and hopefully 
seeing everybody as individuals is, is going to be what helps us move forward as a culture and stop putting each other into these really harmful boxes. Yeah, completely. Um, I, that's so true about, you know, us black people not being a monolith. I, I appreciate you saying that because it's one of those things that I feel it's so important to be said because I think it does take people by surprise. And I'm sure it's like you, you could definitely relate to that in regards to being Asian as well. So yeah, yeah, we need more of these conversations. It's very important. Definitely. Yeah. Before I ask you more about the album, I want to just ask one more thing about Hal, particularly um, the music sure. video that you co-directed with Deborah Farinault. Um, Farinault, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I suspect when working with you know, your sister Leanne, it's quite collaborative, but what was it like for you to take part in directing your own vision with someone that you weren't related to? It's obviously not the first time you worked mm-hmm. with a director you're not related to, but I wonder what it was like for you in this sense. I, so Deborah is a good friend of mine and she has been like my photographer for a, for a while. She's taken all, she took all the pictures for the album that will be coming out. And yeah, we were just really on the same page with regard to what we wanted this to be. And like, I had a really specific idea um, for what, how it was going to look. And a co- the costumes for the video were such a big part of the delivery itself. And my friend Lars Brian made all of the costumes um, based on sketches that we had made together. And she's just so wonderful. She does like costume design for operas and stuff like that. And we just had this idea to use a lot of fabric. And so the look where you see me going into the ocean with this cape that's like 40 feet long is like something that I had drawn out and specifically wanted. And the cape I had seen is sort of a manifestation of the Grim Reaper. Um, this like this sort of motif of, of death, the death of yourself, the death of um, an era, the death of like, a relationship and um yeah like I, th- I think with them there, there's another outfit in the video that's just white and it's like this billowing silky white uh cloth and that that i sort of imagined is like the flip side of that like an, it's like a, it's an angel of mercy to counter the sinister nature of the of the darker cloak so yeah and i'm aside from my friend calvin who plays my leading man who gets his neck snapped at the end it was (laughs) it's basically just me like in all this wide open space like roaming around um i wanted to sort of give the sense of like an alien being dropped to earth and just rediscovering who she is for the first time in all this open space and just feeling like feeling the feeling cowed by the forces of what that which is bigger than you. That definitely came across to me. Like, I remember watching it, and what's interesting is that I feel like in the way that you're moving and you're dancing, there's this element of an awareness that you're being watched, but still almost, like, going about your business anyway. Like, it was a very interesting thing, almost like, had almost like a surveillance vibe about it. If I... <laughs> <laughs> cool. I like hearing that. Yeah, and your yeah, your friend Calvin killed it, man. I mean, he really knows. <laughs> yeah, that was incredible. Yeah, he's believe it or not, um, he, he's like he's a comedian, and he has an, a meme account on Instagram that he has a lot more followers than I. Do. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. So he's like, <laughs> it, it's, it's not in his character at all, but he really nailed it. 
That is unbelievable. Um, for people listening, and I know I kept saying this earlier, and it'll definitely be in the intro, but these songs you've released, I mm-hmm. fucking love them, Charlene, and I want people who are listening who haven't heard them to go check them out. Closer Than This, Too Much, and Hal. I need to know, with these three songs in particular, I wonder if releasing these three songs that feel to me fully realized, they feel like fully realized songs, I wonder if they like just putting them out into the world has it changed how you see yourself as a person? Or is there like, do you feel like you've got a new perspective in regards to yourself just by having these songs existing out there? Yeah, I feel a lot more fearless. I feel like being older lets me give fewer fucks about racing the clock and trying to be this young pop star. Like I just, I feel like that was something that I, experienced in my 20s this sort of self-consciousness and like the desire to be accepted and the in this community but I feel like as I get older just it doesn't matter anymore and all that matters is exciting myself with what I make and it's it's I have so many more ideas for music that I want to make and I'm psyched about all of them and I, I just want to keep going and collaborate with other people and music is so is I, I'm so grateful that I have music as a means to capture these different chapters in my life. And I can not only know what it was like literally through the lyrics, but you can capture what it felt like through like the musical content of it and the videos that you make. And I feel like it's all, it's all special. It's all something that I'm going to look back on when I'm older and really treasure. Yeah, you definitely will. I mean, what you described just now is exactly the, the sentiment I feel like I get with the music is that the sound, the songs sound empowering. And I love that about them. Thanks. Yeah. So tell me this. So these three songs are part of a larger project, your next album. What can you tell me about this body of work that these songs are a part of? Like with the album as a whole, you've, you've spoken to it quite a bit, but what are you really keen about people hearing when it comes to the album as like a full body of work? I really want them to listen to it from top to bottom. I haven't written an album in a long time that was specifically meant to be listened to that way, but yeah, I the singles that released I think can stand on their own, but it's really meant to be lights off, laying on the floor in the dark, listening to it from start to finish. And it's, it's very visual to me. Um, and I think it, I think I conceived it as a trip through, um, you know, looking back, looking, looking at your life from afar and just seeing the, seeing the, the consequences of the decisions you've made and really letting go of everything and rebuilding from there. And, the, I think, I don't want to say too much about it because it's something that you'll, that will be very apparent when the story unfolds, but yeah, I, it's, it's really, really personal to me. It's the most personal album I've ever made. And in some ways I, I kind of, it doesn't really matter to me <laughs> what other people, how other people perceive it, because I know that I did the best job I could putting language to this experience that I had that I was changed forever by. How does it feel being able to say that? That's a really brilliant, like, I love the fact that you're able to say that about your own work. How does that feel? It feels good. I feel like it's, I feel like there's a point of maturity that I hit as an, as an artist, like 
it sounds, I don't know if that sounds arrogant to say, but I, there's a point that I, that I hit where I was just like, oh, I don't, if I, if I keep thinking about other people in making this, in making my work, then it won't come from a place of like pure instinct and pure impulse. And I think of my favorite songs by my favorite artists. And I cannot imagine that they were thinking about anything else when they were creating it. Uh, and I'm so glad that they followed their own weird instinctual impulses because what makes sense to you on instinct is likely not going to make sense to a lot of people, but you sort of use it as like a message in a bottle and those who it reaches all around the world, you know that they've had that same experience as you. And that wouldn't happen if you weren't being a hundred percent true to your, your own experience. If you were afraid to say something that you thought might come across as a relatable instead of honest. Man, I mean, just hearing you describe it that way, I honestly just can't wait to hear it. Like, I really can't. Thanks. I'll, I'll send it to you. <laughs> oh, well, that was easy. There we go. I can't wait for that. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, I just have one more thing I want to talk about. Um, you know, one of my big regrets of 2020 is not making it to your concert at the Sultan Room. You performed there mm -hmm. in February. Um, and I remember immediately after the show, I saw so many photos and videos from friends uh, that posted that were there and what came across to me was that there was this fire within you and throughout this talk I brought up the word confidence a lot and you've you know kind of gone into the reasons of how that came about but I do think that's a word that's best conveyed on stage like when you hear songs it's really incredible to hear that emotion and then you get the affirmation when you watch someone perform before you go, what do you remember the most fondly about that night at the Sultan Room? Because I feel like from what I just saw in like, you know, videos and photos, it was like a new you. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I'd been really away from my own live show for several years. I hadn't put much devotion into it and uh, into my own music as a whole because I'd been touring with San Fermin. And so to come back and create this world that I felt like was a perfect visual accompaniment to the album that I'd worked so hard on for the past two years was so rewarding. And I, I, I was able to shred, I was able to dance. I was able to like be connected with the people that came and like still care about what I do. And I felt like my friends really turned up and I was looking out into the audience and I just saw so many people that I knew and, and loved. And it was so special to share with them this very personal project that uh, I wrote for myself, but you know, I felt like somehow did resonate with people when you put it out into the world. Oh man. I mean, obviously with like social media, it's like the job of social media to make you feel like you're missing out. But I remember looking at those photos like, fuck, I really did miss out. It felt like everyone who was there was very present. It felt like that on stage too. Yeah, I was, I was really, I, I felt that for sure. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Charlene, thanks so much for talking to me. I'm so glad we got to do this. Yeah. And man, it's been a while since we've caught up. I can't wait to see you again. And thank you. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for caring and thanks for taking the time. And I'm, I'm excited for 
everything that's coming up and let's we'll get through this pandemic together <laughs> yeah seriously people are going to love this album i'm, I'm sure of it thanks Thank you so much for checking this out. Be sure to subscribe to The New Exchange via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you stream podcasts. Until next time, thank you for listening.